cool. Hello. Man, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people here. If we haven't met, as Pastor Zach said, if we haven't met, my name is Pastor Mark. I'm one of the goofballs that leads um, the Sunday night service. And so we're going to be jumping into um, a study of Jonah chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible and you don't even have a fake one on your phone, put, put your hand in the air. And these guys, Keith and Zach, will get a Bible to you. Um, I say it quite often, but I'm serious. You need a Bible in front of you so you know I'm not making this stuff up, okay? And so get a Bible in your hands. We study the Bible. We don't just study from the Bible. We actually study the Bible. And so we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4. So a lot of you are coming in and, um, um, you know, maybe this is your first week back for school, and and so you're coming in right at the end of a sermon series, but I'm going to sum up the whole book. It's a quick book, and so I'm going to give you four weeks, um, including tonight, um, in in about 50 minutes, if we can do that. Sound good? Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Um, I need help, you need help, so we're going to pray for that, and then we'll get going. Um, Jesus, just again, thank you for John. Thank you for uh, that encouragement. Um, just pray now that as we continue to worship you, as we continue to worship you, um, that, that, we would, um, that we would be diligent to, to study, to hear from you, um, and that we would open up our hearts um, to be pressed by you and to be um, exposed before you. And so, um, Holy Spirit, go to work now. Um, I, need, I need help teaching. Uh, and, and, and those that are here, including myself, we all need help learning. And so would you uncover things that I could never uncover in the hearts of people? Um, and would you restore things um, with people that I could never restore? And so, Holy Spirit, um, again, just have your way. Jesus behind, lifted up in this time of study for your glory. Amen. Jonah. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been angry at God? Three of you are being honest right now. Have you ever been angry at God? And we get angry for different reasons, right? We, we get angry when God does something we don't want him to do, right? We get angry when God doesn't do something we want him to do, right? We get angry when God does something that maybe doesn't really affect us one way or the other, but we just don't understand it. And so we get angry at him. And it's interesting that we're going to end because everyone knows the story of Jonah, right? Everyone. I mean, you could, you could find atheists. Like, what's the thrust of Jonah? I get swallowed up by a whale or something like that. Everyone hears his story, but almost never does anyone talk about chapter 4. It's sort of like, he went into the fish. What happened? He came out of the fish. What did he do up there? He preached. Awesome. We don't need the last chapter. Because this is a peculiar last chapter to this book. But it's important because it it stirs and you see the heart of man amidst the work of God on full display. On full display. And again, if you haven't been here, I'll take us through it real quick. The very beginning, the book just kicks off. Look, it's a quick, short book. We spent four weeks and we've done every single word in the book. Every single word as we're going to do tonight. But it just gets up and it gets going. It says, arise, Jonah. And Jonah's a prophet. And we've defined prophecy as God's word through flesh, pointing to God's word as flesh. And so true prophecy comes through man, but ultimately and always, if it's true, points to God come as man. 
Prophecy is God's word through flesh pointing to God's word come as flesh. That's Jesus. All prophets point to Jesus. The whole Old Testament points to Jesus. Jonah is a book about Jesus, primarily. And so he says, get up, Jonah, this prophet. He says, go into Nineveh. Nineveh was a disgusting city. We've gone into some detail in the previous studies, and all of these are online if you want to go back. But this was a disgusting city full of lies and robbery, it says in Nahum, of sorcery. It sounded of clanking carriages, just creepy. It said that there were dead bodies. This isn't a metaphor. It's not a picture. It's not symbolism. There were, the Bible says in Nahum, bodies everywhere. It was a death-ridden city. A staunch enemy of Judah, a staunch enemy of Israel. They hated Israelites, and Israelites hated Ninevites. This wasn't like a one-way thing. They loathed these people, and God shows up, and he tells a prophet, he says, go preach to them that their wickedness has come up to me. It's so bad. He says, their wickedness, it's like it just, it stinks in heaven from Nineveh. He says, go. And Jonah's like, no. No. And I've pressed on you. It's like God shows up and goes, go talk to her. No. She said mean things about me. Go talk to him. No way. No way. Go into that city. No. I want to stay in Thousand Oaks. Go into those communities. Go into those businesses. Go into those industries. No. And we run. We run from God's call who says go into every single nation. You're like, well, that's what pastors should do. You should go into every single nation. He wasn't talking to pastors. Our job is to equip you to go. And you're like, no. You do it, pastor. You're on. I'm not on staff. You can't play that with me. Well, you're paid. Oh, shoot. You're not paid. Oh, uh. You go anyways. You seem all fired up about this. <laughs> Our job is to equip you to go. And we run. And Jonah runs. And he runs from New York to San Francisco. And he hops a boat to Tokyo. He's like, I'm out. I'm gone. And he gets on that boat. And what happens? Right? I said it before. I'm going to say it again. We love Jesus that calms the storms. Oh, he calms everything. You don't like the God that stirs him up, do you? That stirs up storms, that chastens those that he loves. Let's go back to Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> loves you enough sometimes to circle the wagons. And he stirs it up. And what does Jonah do? He goes to the bottom of the ship and does what? Racks out. Forget this. Let the sailors take care of it. It's not my job. They go down to the bottom, they bring them up to say, look, we've been praying to our gods. It's clearly not one of us that's angry. It's, it's not one of our gods that's angry. Everyone gets religious in a storm. You notice that? Everyone. So this has got to be your fault. Jonah gets up and he's like, it is. What should we do with you then? Chuck me overboard. What do they do? In, in front of him? He's angry. We're not going to piss him off anymore. No, no, no. We'll just start rowing. We'll try to work this out. Jonah's over there like, good luck. Boat's going nowhere. You guys know what you got to 
They pray to God, like, look, this is not us. Like, we, we didn't want to at first. Clearly, this is a thing with you two. We're rowing. We're not getting anywhere. He goes, but we're innocent, and they chuck him. The Bible says God did what with a great fish? Great fish, not whale, great fish. He prepared this great fish. The purpose of this great fish was for this moment. Of the whole globe, the majority of it is covered by water. This great fish was right there in the storm waiting. You believe in that, God? This isn't a cute story. This is historical fact. This happened. Jonah's in heaven right now telling the story again. And this fish comes up, this great fish, and it swallows him. It swallows him, and it's dark. He doesn't have a candle. He doesn't have a butane lighter. It's dark. It's cold. He doesn't have food or water. He's clinging to the small intestine, right? Look, after, after three days, your body's about to die with no water. He's on the verge of death. He's crying out to God the whole time. And we see in that chapter that, that we see his prayer of deliverance. So he had already been praying to be delivered. And God said, I promise I will deliver you. And so he's still in the belly of the fish. And he's like, God's delivered me. And we don't do that in the midst of storms. We don't. So he needs to get me out and then I'll be excited about him. But not now. I'm in the middle of it. Jonah's in the belly. He's like, I've been delivered. Because God said he would be. And he trusted him. Do you trust God in the storms? Do you trust God with what's going on in your circumstances right now? And then he vomits him up. Just, because deliverance ain't always pretty. And he vomits him up and he lands on dry. He's like, God's like, let's try this again. You know this from your parents. They have to tell you something twice, right? It's about to get real. He says, look, Again, a second time. And he almost verbatim gives the exact same command. But this time is to go and to wait. And God will tell him what to preach. To get to the city. So Jonah goes. And then chapter 3. You want the summarization of chapter 3? He walks into the city. He's stepping over dead bodies. It's a massive city. It took three days to walk around it. He can't just like go to the courtyard and say, Hey, could everyone come in for a second? I got something to say. Just gather everyone here real quick. He had to go house by house, street by street, block by block. Preaching repentance. Chapter three summed up. He goes in, he's like, repent or perish. And they're like, okay, that's it. That's chapter three. Jonah's like, what? Oh, that sounds like a good idea. They start throwing sackcloth, goat hair. They're just people, cattle are wearing like burial garbs. Like they're just, everyone's like, we're, we're completely broken before God. Completely broken. We don't always like when God delivers those that we think he should strike judgment on, do we? I think I saved them. He saved you. Oh, but I was, <laughs> that's kind of a catch. <laughs> Figured I'd be pretty good in heaven. A little needs a little something of this, right? No. He said, you are by nature a child of wrath. At once, one time an enemy of God. We don't see that. Like, I've been in church my whole life. And until you accepted the Holy Spirit, you were an enemy of God. I don't like that. Don't call me an enemy ever again. The Bible says it. An enemy of God a Ninevite to God. And so we're all on level footing before the cross. The ground is completely leveled at the foot of the cross. doesn't matter where you're from. I don't care what your parents believe. I don't care how many times you went to Sunday school. I was classic Protestant Lutheran. They gave us like bars underneath our 
perfect Sunday school one, you're nodding your head, you did this nonsense too, didn't you? They used to give us a button, it was like perfect Sunday school attendance. I was the pastor's kid, where else was I going to be on Sunday? (laughs) Not only that, I lived on the same property as the church. I lived 30 steps as a six-year-old from church. I was not getting out of Sunday school. And they give me a bar every year, walk around like I'd been some like valor in battle or something like that. I'm basically saved. Check out my button. Four bars down for sure. Right? Like it's a five-year-old. It's four bars deep. Okay? God doesn't care about that nonsense. I was an enemy until I accepted Jesus. As pretty as it looked. As pretty as it looked. My dad's faith couldn't save me. My parents' marriage couldn't save me. My siblings' faith couldn't save me. None of that. We were enemies. We were Ninevites. So Jonah goes in, he preaches repentance, and they accept it. And it's all said and done. And now he's mad. See, some of you, he got mad. Are you, he got mad? I never heard that in, the, in Sunday school. Because they leave out chapter 4 because he got angry. He got angry at God. Are you angry with God for anything, for any reason, for your circumstances? Have you? Are you? And I can guarantee you at some point you will be angry with God. Maybe for different reasons than Jonah, but the heart issue will be the same. Anger with God. It says this as, verse, as chapter 4 starts off. It says, but it displeased Jonah. And that's one thing, to be displeased. It said it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And in the, Greek, or in the Hebrew, it's, it's speaking of an intense anger. Dude is flipping out. Storming off. Forget this. Not them, God. They are a wretched, disgusting people. No way. I just walk in there, say repent, and they do it. I barely dried off the fish guts, and these guys are already repenting. And they're cool with it. From the king, from the greatest to the least, it said everyone in the city repented before God. He was angry. He was out. He's livid at God. It's like he's been offended by people coming to God. It says he was angry. That's why I wore a, a skull shirt tonight. <laughs> Add the intensity, right? And so it says, so he prayed to the Lord and said, ah, this is crazy. Ah, Lord. That's like how my kids are like, ah, dad, you said we were going to the pool. That's exactly how Ethan says it. Ah, dad, you a 13 year old girl. Don't do that. Say that to me again. <laughs> Parents know this. Some of you are just getting out of this phase, right? Now you're like calling your dad bro and stuff, right? I'm in college now, bro. Which means you're sucking even more of their money. Back off. It's like, ah, ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? See, Jonah was super stoked to receive God's mercy, but he was not stoked when other people received God's mercy. That guy doesn't belong in the church. Do you know what he's done? Look, Pastor Rob said it. This is a hospital. That's what the church is. It's a hospital for broken, sick people. If we're doing our job, there is some crazy pasts walking into this room. There is some crazy presence walking into this room. Broken and destroyed. It's a hospital. That's why you check your pride at the door. Everyone's broken here. Everyone's immature in their faith here at a certain extent. And he was happy to receive the mercy. 
after three days in the belly of fish, but he just, he just couldn't stand the thought of the Ninevites being extended the same. Can't stand, why would God save them? That guy's awful, she's terrible. I don't want to talk. God says, go, and we're like, no. And Jonah's angry. He says, therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. That's where he went. Because for, for them, that was the end of the earth at the time. It's in modern-day Spain. It says, for I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. There's, there's probably no modern equivalent, but it's, it's like ISIS. I was, I was in the military. I, call me sick. I don't recommend you do it. I watched the videos. I do. Where they line up the people and they flip a switch. Where they put them in a cage and they light the match. I watch it. And I guard my heart. When I, right before I went to combat, my sister wrote me a, a letter. She said, look, if you take the life of an enemy, I want you to pray for them. I'm like all hopped up on Marine Corps. I'm like, let's do this. You know, who's gets it first? Let's roll. She's like, pray for them. They're all wicked people. They're just, Al-Qaeda's disgusting. We're going to go face to face with Al-Qaeda. And we did. And they blew us up. I don't want them. We, just, we don't have the equivalent, I don't think, in America of just this hatred like they did. And he's like, it's, I don't even want to think about it. Just kill me. Just, just kill me. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? I love when God asks questions in the Bible. He has every right. Because what we do is we have questions for God all the time. My career, what about my school? What about my business? What about my marriage? Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? I don't feel you, God. I don't see you, God. I need more from you, God. Give me more this. Give me more that. I like when God turns around and says, hold up. You're angry at me? You're angry at me. Saved by me, now angry at me. For saving someone else, in Jonah's case? I love when God asks questions. I dug up some questions. He likes to ask questions in Genesis 3. First question in human history. Adam and Eve had sinned. And God came down into the garden. God's always been a God that pursues his people. Just like John was saying, it's not about getting up a mountain. It's about a God that came down off of it. Genesis 3, they had broken fellowship with God. They inflicted sin upon the world. God came down and he said, where are you? Now he knew. You're not like hiding. Like it's a game of hide and seek. God didn't know. He knew. But what does he do? He asks questions to stir in our heart. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Naked wasn't a concept before sin. It wasn't. It says, what is this that you have done? And tonight, what is it that you've done that you bring here? God says, look, what have you done? Genesis 4, he says to Cain, he says, where is your brother Abel? Did God know what happened to Abel? Of course he did. But he asked. Because he wants to stir in the hearts of his people a response. He says, what have you done? Cain, what have you done? First Samuel thirteen eleven says, what have you done? 
2 Samuel 12, it says, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? What have you been doing in your life? The Bible clearly forbids for your own safety and protection. And God views it as evil. God says, what have you been doing? What did you do this summer? I brought you here tonight for a reason. I want to stir in you a response. What have you done? Isaiah 6 says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Did God know who would go? Yeah, but he asked anyways. Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Jesus knew who he was. Jesus is who he says he is. But he comes to us and just doesn't say, look, I'm Christ, deal with it. He says, but who, who, who do you say that I am? It still has to be a personal response Luke 22, Jesus says, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Did Jesus know he was betraying him with a kiss? You better believe it. Acts 9, he says, Saul, Saul who would become Paul. Jesus cracks open heaven. Saul's rounding up Christians left, right, and center, men, women, children, throwing them in a carriage behind him as he heads to the next city, persecuting the church. Jesus shows up and says, Why are you persecuting me? I'd implore you, who are the Christians in your life that you're bagging on? That's Jesus' bride. Which churches are you making fun of? That's Jesus' bride. And say, you don't get to be picky. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? And so God stirs up a response. I wrote down that they reveal our heart and they put us on proper ground before God. Because that's the best way of teaching sometimes is asking a question. I try this with my boys all the time. I don't always tell them what they've done wrong. I ask them what they think they did wrong. What do you think just happened? You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm like, nah, I don't do anything right. Apparently. What, do you, what do you think you've done wrong? My parents did this with me. What do you think about this? And I gave them my whole blurted answer. And they, but they knew. It was stirring in me. Response, I had to go back and, and go to bed and, and before God. Man, that's, that's, I knew what went down. I don't have to just pick out all your sins. Have you confess them to me like I'm the mediator? God just says, what have you done tonight? And so God says, is it right for you to be angry? Some of you are angry with God tonight. I believe that. I believe that's why some of you are here. Some of you have friends that are angry with God. I believe that, and I believe that's why God has you here. Some of you have parents that are angry with God. Some of you have relatives that are angry with God. You have have co-workers that are angry with God. You have classmates that are angry with God. And it's not that we look to them, but it's that we stir in our own heart the issues that we take up before God. Say, God owes me answers. And God says, I have some questions too. Why are you angry with God? Has he not done something that you thought he should do? Has he done something you didn't think he should do? Has he done something that you just flat out don't understand? I've been there and it hurts. And it was okay for Jonah to be real with God. To say, I am angry. 
And when God asks you the question, are you angry with me? It's in our responsibility to repent of that anger. Good on Jonah for being real about his feelings. But God's going for repentance. The first thing Jesus preached when he kicked off his public ministry. Don't act and don't go to a church that doesn't preach repentance. Run from a church that refuses to boldly proclaim repentance because Jesus showed up and boldly at the start of his teaching ministry proclaimed repentance. It's not about me demanding that you be better. It's about me as a pastor called to impart to you truth and to, and to stir and to equip us to respond to God's call through his word before him. I'm not the arbiter of your faith, but I'm called to declare the truth. And Jesus shows up and says, repent of that. All the stuff you thought of when I said, what did you do this summer? I didn't come up with that list. The Holy Spirit did. Some of you are like, I don't have a list, right? Pray that the Holy Spirit show it to you now. He will. He will. I don't have to. And so God says, it is right. Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah left. I love this. He pouts. Just, I don't know what this guy looked like, but I imagine he wasn't that big. He wasn't like a brawny, masculine dude. Just sort of a, eh, I'm out. And so he leaves. And he sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade. This is a cute scene. Till he might see what would become of the city. Early on, I said this, I I provoked us in the first chapter that he didn't want to go for possibly one of two reasons. One, they're going to slaughter me, God. They kill their own left and right. An Israelite walks in and says, you guys are wicked, you need to repent. They're like, pour me another drink. Best case scenario, he's run out of town and beaten or stoned. More likely, he's stabbed on the spot. That very well could have been one reason he didn't go. The second reason, as I said, which comes from this chapter, very well could have been he simply didn't want them to be granted repentance. Bring down fire on him, God. I'm just going to try to stall, run across the country, hop on a boat, go take care of them. Hopefully when I get off that boat, look, I'll be sorry and everything, but hopefully they'll be done by then. He wanted judgment on those people. So he goes out and he's like, fine, I'll just see what happens then. I think he's hoping for it. Like, they're not real. It's not going to last. Are you kidding me? The goat hair thing? It's not going to last. The sackcloth, really? I think it's itchy after a while. They're going to go right back to drunkenness, right back to lying and robbery and cheating and stealing. They're going to go right back to idolatry. Now, Nahum says that that city did get its, it did get its judgment. That's 150 years later. That's one, possibly two generations later. They had turned around. This generation, the one of Jonah's day, they repented. They repented. There's no sealed the deal for any nation. Well, that generation was great, so we're probably pretty cool. Mm. Our founding fathers were, were epic. It was a Christian nation. We're, we're probably fine. Mm-hmm. Nope. So he goes out and he pouts. Get in some shade, you know, just mm, mm, see what happens. <laughs> this is the coolest thing you've ever seen a pastor do. <laughs> it's still lame, right? So he made himself a shelter and he sat under in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant. He prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. Now he prepares a plant 
to shelter him. He's off pouting and God's still taking care of him. You're off pouting and God is still taking care of you. He says, God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from the misery. Look, I've been to the Middle East. It's not like, it's not fun. Like we're over here like, oh, it's like 88 degrees. This is terrible. We are the most spoiled, uh, seriously, if it's below 70 or above 80, we are just obnoxious. I'm from Minnesota. You people do not know weather, okay? Is it 69? This is ridiculous. I don't pay taxes for this. I I go to school in SoCal to have 78 and sunny every day of my life. Like, what is this, 90 degrees? I didn't sign up for this. I'm not in Phoenix. This is great, and we're just... It's miserable in the Mideast. It's miserable. And God just comes up and he just protects him. It's a sweet picture. Little pouty Jonah. And just, this is real too. It's just like God just, like, just covers him. But as morning dawned, oh, and see, there he is. There's Jonah basking in the protection. Angry at God, pouting, basking in protection. Pouting. As the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. God's doing a lot of preparing. A worm. A worm. And so it damaged the plant, and, so, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened, verse 8, when the sun arose, that sun, that beating, hot, sweaty sun, that God prepared a vehement east wind. I ride a motorcycle, okay? These last couple weeks has been like sitting behind a jet engine. Just 80, 65 miles an hour, strictly <laughs> sinners, okay? In that heat, I work in Calabasas, and when I come into Teal, I can feel it drop like 10 degrees because I'm like halfway to the valley, and I'm fussing. I'm, like, I'm from Minnesota. I didn't want this. And it's just this wind. And, and hot wind is awful wind. It's awful wind. And God prepares this wind. He's still knocking Jonah around. I love it. Some of you don't like that God. That's the God we serve. God prepared a vehement, a vehement, like Santa Ana's on steroids. A vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Look, I've been, I've been out at 29 Palms and seen many a masculine marine just out. You put the safety of your nation in these guys' hands, and they're just with a little bit of heat, 118 on the mortar team, out. And this is where Jonah is. It's just, there goes my plant, creepy worm, and he's out. He's out before God. Fist in the air. You owe me answers. And so he grew faint. Then he wished his death. Like man, People are like, this guy's suicidal. Like everything. So you're like, I would just rather be anywhere other than... This is that guy just complains about everything, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Look, if you want a reason to be angry, you're just simply going to find one. Some of you are like that. Some of you just need to repent of that tonight. You find any reason possible to be disgruntled. And then you dump it on pastors 
and you dump it on your parents because it's, it's clearly not your fault. And you just, you're just, if, look, if, you're going, if you want to be angry, you'll find reasons. Jonah wanted to be mad. He's finding reasons. He's at the bottom of the sea. That's the best time he had with God. It was in the belly of a fish. Dry land, he's miserable. Son, he's miserable. So you're just miserable. Angry at God. He's just not doing enough. God's like, really? You're angry with me about this? You're angry. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, is it? And he, this is Jonah. Check this. The gall of this guy says, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. Dude is dramatic. <laughs> Did theater in high school clearly. <laughs> even to death. It's that bad, God. It's that bad. It's awful. I have the right to be angry. Look, you have the right as a free will human being to be angry at God. But as a Christian, you have a command to repent of that. You do. You have a right to be angry. You could be angry at this pulpit for all I care. But when you turn that anger toward God, honest though you may be with God, look, God, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm pretty aggravated right now. Says, You're mad at me? But the plant? You're mad at me. Really. Created you from nothing. Created the universe from nothing. Says in the beginning, God created everything. Created the heavens and the earth. Guess what wasn't even there when God started creating? Heaven. How does that work? No idea. Can't wait to ask him. Nothing existed. The concept of time didn't exist. He wasn't in heaven creating earth. There was no heaven And he created raw substance. And we go, you owe me answers. I am angry. He's like, seriously? The plant? Now, it's not to belittle your issues, but you got to know that in the the expanse of who God is, I've had some terrible stuff. Look, look, you want to go toe-to-toe on bad stuff? I've had miscarriages. My wife and I have had miscarriages. I don't know of anything more gut-wrenching in my life. But were I to turn that to anger, it's like a plant in the expanse of God. I don't say that to demean the lives. I do believe that those two kids are in heaven right now waiting for us. Can't wait to meet them. But no, does that turn into anger? No, it doesn't turn into anger. It's okay when your circumstances are terrible. It's okay to say that in the church, by the way. It's not like I'm blessed, hashtag blessed, hashtag blessed. Just I'm on, I'm on it. Just I only post the good stuff, you know, hashtag blessed. Stop that. No one cares about hashtag blessed. Right? We abuse that. Now, now the whole world just thinks blessed is when stuff is awesome. God's just a cosmic genie, right? It's like, I just lost, I just lost a kid in my womb. You blessed? I'm blessed. Still. It's tough, but I'm not angry. I know the expanse of the God that I serve. He said, you're complaining about the plant. You're bringing this plant, which I provided you protection. I gave you a job, and then it went away, and now you're mad at me. Gave you a home, and now you had to move, and you're mad at me. Gave you finances, and those imploded with the stock market, and you're mad at me. 
Bible says everything that's good and perfect is, is from God. Now, this doesn't mean that God causes everything to happen. Don't, don't misread that. That's called fatalism, where everything that happens is because of God. That's a mean and capricious God. God didn't force sin on the world. We were responsible for that. Bible says sin will find you out. We are a dying world. Things happen that are wrong. Now, does God force those things to happen? No, but that's where his sovereignty divides. Does he allow everything to happen? You better believe it. Why? Because there's still people that need to be saved. Even the people you don't like. Even the people you don't like. God has given us time. And notice you weren't too concerned about Jesus coming back quickly before you were saved. As soon as you got saved, you're like, time for revelation, let's go. I'm good with you now, bringing down the fire. God's giving people time. We wanted time, didn't we? I'm going to figure it out, watch some YouTube, see about this whole Jesus thing, go to a couple services, right? And now we're saved. We're like, oh, the whole, hell, the whole world's going to hell. Just destroy it. God's giving people time. People say it all the time. They're just like, why is God waiting so long? I don't know, maybe because he's allowing for the gospel to preach to every single person on the planet. That's why there's evangelical groups going into tribes that have never even seen other human beings and talking about Jesus, sometimes to their fatality. But he's giving people time. And we don't want time now as Christians. Like, just come back now, Jesus. Heaven sounds way better. God's giving us time. He's giving people time. The Lord said, you had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, verse 10. You did nothing for that plant. Now you got pity for that. And he says this, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And, so, and should I not pity Nineveh? See, Jonah's worried about his circumstances. He's not worried about people. Jonah is concerned with his circumstances, not people. God has always been in the people business. God pursues people. He pursued Nineveh. He pursued you when you were an enemy. He pursued me when I was an enemy. And he saves us. And as one of my favorite metal bands says, he carried us back from hell with nail-scarred hands. Because that's where we were headed. You're not born headed to heaven and then you mess up. You're born headed to hell and only Jesus can correct it. You see this all the time. My kid's so innocent. I just got to protect them. I just got to homeschool them, not let them talk to anyone else. Because they think they're protecting their salvation. It has nothing to do with that. God saves. Methods don't save. Schooling methods don't save. Friendships and parents and religiosity doesn't save. Only a God that comes down into our mess can save. He says, you're worried about the plant. You're not worried about people. You're worried about your circumstances. You're not worried about people. You're like, when I get my circumstances figured out, that's when I'll start talking about Jesus to friends. And in that, we become Jonah. In that, we become Jonah. Our circumstances trump the salvation of people. Not that we're charged with the salvation, but that we're charged to preach ours and give that testimony. And so he says, you're worried about that. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which are more than 120,000 persons? It's roughly the exact size as Thousand Oaks. God's saving the entire city of Thousand Oaks and Jonah's mad about the plant his circumstances, his comfort. He does not see what God just did. 
He does not see what God just did. And it's, I believe it's the only book in the Bible that ends in a question. This is more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and much livestock. And much livestock. It's interesting to note that God had prepared for Jonah. Yes? God had prepared for Jonah. Chapter 1, we saw that he prepared a great fish. In this chapter, we've seen that he prepared a plant. He prepared a worm. He prepared a wind. God had prepared Jonah. But ultimately, God was preparing Jonah to point to something greater than he could even see. The point of Jonah is not Jonah. The point of the great fish is not the great fish. God was preparing an event in this man's life to point to the ultimate event for all mankind. God was pointing to himself. And so Jesus came. And so Jesus came. He comes to pursue people like God pursued us in the garden. As Jesus pursued us on the cross, as Revelation says, he will pursue us again in the end. Our God is a great God that pursues. He doesn't say, you've done wrong, get to me. He says, you've done wrong and I'm going to come next to you. And Jesus in Matthew 12, 40 says, for as Jonah, one of four prophets that he ever called out by name, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah was a picture of Jesus. He was a type. He was a glimpse into what the the Messiah would do. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. How does he do that? Hugs, kisses. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, we came here tonight dragging it in from the summer, from our work week, from our family, from our marriage, from our kid. We came in dragging this in, still in sin, bringing our addictions Our issues, our ego, our pride, our lust, our greed, our gossip, our comparison. We drug all that in. He says, while you are yet sinners, Christ, and this is God manifesting his love. What does love look like? It's a bloody mess. It's a bloody mess. And God's love for us manifests itself. This is where his love and his wrath collide. It's where his love and his wrath collide. Jesus comes in to pursue people, believers and non-believers alike, the Jonas and the Ninevites, pursuing them, stirring in them, demanding a response. And we sit and we say, but we're angry, God. He says, you're angry with me. And Jesus in the garden gets down and and he says this, He says, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let's let's do that. Let's go go with plan B. 
Father, if there's a plan B, now's a good time to enact that. He says, but not my will. Thy will. And he says, remove this what from me? This cup. What does that cup signify? It wasn't coffee. It wasn't Starbucks. You know. The cup, the Old Testament consistently talks about the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus, headed to the cross to commit the ultimate act of love, says, remove this cup of wrath from me. And the Bible over 600 times, way more than it describes his love, over 600 times speaks of the wrath and the fury of God. And anyone that doesn't preach to God, the severity of God's fury is betraying you from the pulpit. Because you can't fully begin to appreciate his love until you understand the depths and the severity of his wrath. But here's where it causes worship, not fear. Here's where it causes worship, not fear. Because on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus did not symbolize our sin. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again until I'm done preaching for my entire life. I'm going to say so I'm blue in the face. The Bible does not say that Jesus symbolized our sin. He was a picture. He was a metaphor for our sin. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin. Became sin on the cross. Everything in thought, word, and deed. You've done, you're doing, and you're going to do. Jesus simply and brilliantly and so complexly didn't just become a picture of it. He actually became it. God separated from him, and what did God do? Jesus was paying, take this cup from me. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about the cross. He wasn't talking about the beating. He wasn't talking about the crown of thorns. He wasn't talking about the scourging. He wasn't talking about getting sucker punched in the face. He wasn't praying that God would stop that. He wasn't facing a cross. He was facing the wrath of God. Jesus simply dying on the cross does not save you from your sin. Some of you think I just went heretical. Many men died on a cross before Jesus and after Jesus. Him physically dying on the cross is not what satisfied God. What satisfied God is that Jesus absorbed the brunt of God's wrath on the cross. And we sit there and say, I'm angry with you, God. I have issues with you, God. And God says, because of what Jesus has done, you need to know, I'm not angry with you. Why are you angry? I'm not angry with you. And so it causes worship, not fear. That all that wrath should have been poured out on us. And instead, Jesus absorbed it. And it says in Revelation that he comes back to tread the winepress of the fury of God. Why? Because he's currently holding it. And Jesus will ultimately pour out judgment and wrath on those that reject him. And so I pray tonight that we're caused and we're stirred into a response of worship, not fear. Adoration, not fear. Affection for Jesus, not fear. God says, why are you angry? And tonight I pray we say, because of Jesus, God, I see you're not angry with me. Therefore, I repent of my anger and I look to the cross. Amen? Let's sing. Let's pray first. Jesus, thank you for Jonah, that quirky little guy that would just not follow directions. I think about that. What a picture of us. We're just quirky little guys down here. We do not follow directions. But Holy Spirit, would you change that tonight? Not out of fear, but out of adoration. 
that we're so excited about what Jesus has done that we're not afraid to go into anything that resembles Nineveh. We're not afraid to talk. We're not afraid to give our testimony. We're not afraid to repent. We see that it's a gift. We're going to go into a time of worship. We're not afraid of hell. Jesus, we love you for saving us from hell. And so Jesus, I can't imagine what you endured on the cross, the wrath of God. But I thank you that you took it. It should have been for me. It should have been for us. But instead you took it. So Jesus, we love you. I pray we see you even higher and more lifted up tonight. Not for our glory, for yours. In Jesus' name, amen.